Welcome to All The Things, a podcast for moms seeking an inspired life. Hi, I'm your host, Lisa Chin. I am a writer and a coach, and my most passionate truth is that the world needs the real you. That's why I created this podcast, to discover all the things that make us who we are, because the better we understand ourselves, the more good we can do in the world. So let's do that together. Welcome to today's episode. I am jumping in here before the actual recording of the conversation with Nicole because the recording actually starts mid-conversation before we actually do introductions and whatnot. So I wanted to kind of orient you before jumping into that. And also this conversation, this episode is structured a bit differently than my other episodes have been with guests. It is more of stories from Nicole and she weaves them all kind of together. She goes through kind of throughout her her life and her lessons and the themes and just as I would in a normal conversation, I kind of let her speak and I listened. I listened to her story. I appreciated where she was coming from and I followed up with some questions when the time felt right and that leads me to my question for you is when you know when is the last time that you really listened to someone's story in our day and age we're lucky if we can jump on like a 15 minute call with our best friend right when we meet someone for the first time we don't have that luxury. We don't get the opportunity to sit down and really understand who they are. And I am so lucky that I have this podcast because I can reconnect with someone who I knew from elementary school and learn from them and listen to them and understand where they were coming from. And this episode is so very much an unlearning for myself. Because when Nicole and I reconnected on Facebook, she shared a story with me that she shares in the podcast. She shares a story with me that I was completely unaware of. And it showed me again how we have no idea what people are going through. I consider myself a pretty aware person. And I also know that I don't have the ability to know everyone's story. She and I shared a playground and I didn't know what was going on probably 50 feet from me. And we apparently were in the same gym class, which I didn't know and remember. And so when we encounter people from day to day, it's so important for us to give grace, to be understanding and Nicole's whole thing is to choose kindness and that really is very important for us. Something else that I gleaned from Nicole's story is how we measure impact. How do we measure the difference that we are making in the world and how humbled I am at how simple The answers are sometimes, and we make things so much more difficult. I so believe that there is 
opportunity for all of us to do something good in the world. I believe that everyone has a story to tell. And I am so honored that Nicole agreed to come on the podcast and share hers. And I think it's so brave of her as well. Unfortunately, I think that a lot of people are actually really scared to tell their stories. And scared in the sense of feeling like no one wants to listen or that they will get some sort of commentary on it or that it's just not important to share. And really everyone has a worthy story to put out there. And if we can get into relationship, get into conversation, be in presence with each other and give each other the opportunity to share stories and learn from one another, the world would be a much more connected, truly connected place. With that, I will let the recording start and I hope that you enjoy this episode. I mean, like this, um, that's so beautiful. Like I, and it's so true, right? It is these moments that, that really make us who we are. And that lesson that your mom shared. It's one of those things that honestly, as an adult, I've carried with me. I don't Mm. care where I'm going. I don't care if it's a party. I don't care what the experience is. For example, I went to the Bahamas by myself for a week and a half and everybody was like, Oh, I'm, you know, how are you going to do that? Are you okay? Like, you know, are you going to be all right? And I said, yeah, I'm going to be fine. I said, because my thing is if you sit around and you wait for other people to go and do things with you, you may never get to see other parts of the world. You may never get to travel. You may never get to experience. And when I tell you that was one of the best vacations I've ever had, like families were adopting me while I was there and <laughs> I, I never would have imagined my first, the first day I got there, there was a Caucasian family in the, in the water and they're swimming around and they're, you know, because the beach is right there. You just walk down from the hotel to the beach and they were in the water and they're snorkeling and I'm looking out and I looked at them and I'm looking around and the dad says, Hey, go get some snorkel gear. I was like, Okay. He's like, yeah, go get some snorkel gear. Come back. We're snorkeling. We're snorkeling. I said, okay. So now here I am. I go and I, you know, I got settled in my room. I went and got snorkel gear. I come back out. And the dad, as I call him, because I could never remember their names, but the dad, as I called him, I was like, oh, okay. I go out and the dad's like, hey, I'm I'm the dad and this is my wife and this is my daughter. This is my son. So I was just calling him mom, dad, sister, brother. Like I didn't even name wise I didn't even catch names I was I was so fascinated with the fact that somebody I didn't know saw me on the beach said go get snorkel gear and come join my family and we literally spent the next couple hours out there snorkeling looking at 
all the, the different fish that were there, the stingrays that were crawling across the bottom, everything. And he's pointing stuff out, and the mom and the, the kids are all pointing stuff out, and we're looking, and we literally bonded over snorkeling in the water right there. And I'm like, this is only my first day. <laughs> so that night, I was just like, okay, it's going to be a little weird because, you know, I always used to go out, eat by myself, go to the movies by myself, doing things to just to get to know me you know, and understanding who I am, what I like, understanding who is Nicole, basically. So that night when I went to dinner, they put me at a table by myself. And I was just like, now this is going to be interesting. This is a huge dining hall. There's a ton of people. Like, this is going to be weird. And I'm like, well, I got my phone here. You know, I can read a book in my phone, you know, it'll, it'll be okay. I sit down at this table and it's, you know, one of the small tables for maybe like two people very, very small table, and I look to the side, there's my family from the water. And the dad's like, hey, have them move your table over so you can add it on to us. And the waiter came back, he moved my table over, and I literally spent dinner talking to them. Mm. Oddly enough, that was their last day there. That was their last night there. So I was like, okay. And when I went back to my room that night, I was like, okay, God. So basically... Day one, this is the family I was meant to meet. And I was just, like, reflecting on, like, what I learned from that family. And it was just the welcoming and the loving and just them being kind to me without even knowing me. They didn't know who I was. And before they left dinner, they took my email address. I took their email address and they said, please email us when you get home so we know you made it home safe. And that was the first family on that trip that showed me kindness. And there were multiple families like there that adopted me. Like every day I did an excursion, there were families that are like, oh, you're here by yourself. Oh, come sit with us. Come hang with us. And they were staying at the the Atlantis, which was next to the, where I was staying. And one of the trips we did, we did like an underwater, um, almost like submarines. And they said to me, they were like, oh, when we got back, oh, you know, we're doing a family reunion. And it was a Korean family. And they're like, oh, we're doing a family reunion. We're at Atlantis. You know, we have, you know, a whole, like, I guess it's like a whole block of rooms on one floor. They're like, once you get settled in, come back, you know, come back, you know, um, the let them know that, you know, you want to get to us. We're in these rooms here. You know, they'll call us. We'll come down and get you. I spent the rest of the night hanging out with that family. And they were having a family reunion. They even had, like, I guess it's, like, Korean food and different things that they had that I don't know where they ordered it from, if they made it for them because it was a family reunion or what. And the food was so good. And I had already eaten dinner at my hotel. And now you're eating dinner at their hotel. I'm like, I'm about to get fat off of all this food. But it was so – the food was so good, and they were just so nice and so kind, you know. And it was one of those things, and I'm just like, okay, this is a trip about kindness. Mm. This is a trip about accepting. This is a trip about people loving you on different levels without even knowing you. I mean, it was just crazy. Every day I did something different, and every day I met a different family. And I just appreciated that trip so much. I mean, I the last day of the last day when I was going home, there was a family that I had seen the entire time I was there, but I never interacted with them. And I noticed, the one thing I noticed is that all of the family members were super tall. And that means super tall, like basketball, NBA player type tall. 
And I never really talked to them because I was looking at them when they were walking past. And I'm like, I feel like a little shrimp here because I'm only five, three and a half. So mm-hmm. I feel short. So, you know, I was just like, and I saw them in passing. And in the shuttle going back to the airport, I noticed that the mom had the same purse. She had picked up and bought the same purse that I did, which is like a hobo bag purse. And I was talking to her about her purse because I like the colors in hers better than the colors in mine. I was like, I didn't see that one. And having the conversation with the mom, we started talking about cooking, food, all kinds of stuff. And our conversation led to like them now pulling me into the family. And coming back, I had to fill out like paperwork at um, immigration. So I had to fill out my paperwork and I've never filled out immigration paperwork before in my life. This was my first trip, you know, going anywhere where I would have to do that. So I finally filled it out. By the time I finished doing that portion, I had to get in the line to go through customs and everything. And I looked up and I saw how far back I was in the line and I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to miss my plane. Mm. And oddly enough, the mom, is, but they're all tall. The mom looks back and she sees me and she knows I'm actually on the same flight as them going coming back to Newark. And she yells, Nicole, how did you get separated from the family? Get up here. And I literally cut through the lines to get up to where they are. And she's like, what are you doing all the way back there? You know you're about to miss the flight. And I was like, I didn't realize, you know, how late it had gotten. And she literally helped me get up to the point where they were, where they were just about to go through. And now here I am. I get through customs, all the checking stuff. I get out, and I'm like, oh, my God, now I'm going to have to run. And I'm just like, look. I'm not a tiny girl. I was not a runner. Me and running are not friends. I was like, this is going to be crazy. I round the corner. The mom and the entire family is on one of those, I guess it's like one of those little scooter things that somebody drives you straight through. They had two of them. And the mother's like, Nicole, get on. We're going. We're going. I hopped on and I went with them. And I'm thinking, How did they manage to get this scooter thing? None of them are disabled. None of them have, you know, any, like, issues I can see. Like, what is going on here? And I'm just thinking, and then I realize when we get onto the plane that the mother, the father, the daughter, and the son, they all either play or work in WNBA or the NBA. So they had specific passes that allotted them to have that scooter to go. And I'm like, and I'm just like having a conversation with God in my head, like, God, thank you. Because if it wasn't for you and you allowing me to have the conversation with them and them being kind and adopting me the way that they have, I would have missed my flight back home. Mm -hmm. And it's all about the fact that, and I thought about if I had gone with the people I was supposed to go with on this trip, I would have never made any connection with any of the families that adopted me that helped me, that, show, that showed me kindness, that showed me anything. I wouldn't have, you know, when you go on vacation, you usually stay with your little group. You don't usually mingle and mix. But it was one of those things where I was like, when people, when I came back and people were like, how was your vacation? I said that it had to be like one of the best vacations I've ever had. And I don't think I could ever match that mm. because of that kindness and just, what I learned from people. And it was the first time in life that I was ever like just accepted by people just by showing up Mm. just because I was there. 
And that's the kind of kindness I try to carry along. No matter where I go, no matter who I interact with, I'm going to meet you with kindness. Even if your vibe that you give me is you're angry, you're upset, you're stressed out, I'm still going to meet you at a level of kindness. And then from there, continue to show you kindness on the level that I see you can understand it. Because that's the only that's the only thing I can do. If you come up and you're angry and you interact with me, by the time you leave, you're either going to be laughing or you're going to be crying because we are going to talk about something funny, like there's going to be some type of interaction to try to change your mindset. Because that whole thing of getting back to kindness, that's a daily thing. Mm. It's a regular thing. And us as adults and human beings, we have to make those steps daily to try to get back to kindness because we don't know where people are in our lives and what they've, what they've experienced. And I've learned that just saying hi, a simple hello to somebody can change somebody's life. You don't know if that person's going through something where they only came out that day just to say, you know what? I just need one person to see me and say, hi, so that I know I just matter to somebody just for that time frame for them to speak to me. That could be the matter of life and death for that person and you don't even know. And that's why I don't care if even if somebody's walking past, I'm going to say hi to you. I don't care. If you don't say hi back, I'll be like, hi, hi, hello. Because I want to make eye contact with that person so that they know I'm not saying hi just to say hi. It's not a robot response. Mm. I'm saying hi because I want you to know I see you. Mm. And I want you to felt seen because a lot of people don't feel seen. A lot of people feel like they're just going through with emotions. They're here. They're going day in, day out. But are they truly seen? And that's one of the things that I try to base my life on. You know, I'm not somebody that's rich. I'm not somebody that can make a big impact financially. But I feel like what I try to do is make an impact where it touches somebody. And if I can touch one life a day, I'm serving my purpose. So, you know, that's why I even left. That's even the reason why I left working in corporate America to work in retail, because in retail, you have people that come to you. They're drawn to you for a reason. You're meant to have a conversation with them. Hmm. Now, what that conversation is about, you won't know till it's over, but you're meant to have the conversation. So it's on us to have the conversation. Just like the conversation I'm having with you now is because one of our other schoolmates posted something that you did and that I went into, and then I went into your page. And one of the videos that you posted, honestly, it literally touched my heart. The fact that you're doing the work that a lot of people are afraid to do in so many ways, whether it's doing the work with yourself, whether it's doing the work with trying to advocate for other people in ways that other people are afraid to, that is so important. It's so important. And I think, as I had said to you, it's one of those things that the work that you're doing now, it's going to help you in so many ways that you won't 
you may not even realize it till you're older and your your kids are grown that it's going to help you shape your children's lives in such amazing ways because they're going to be more understanding and more they'll look out for more than what you would look out for when you were a child because now they know okay you know what mom said this you know what that's what this is okay and they'll be able to put more of what you teach them into motion so the work that you're doing it may not mean much but i am so proud of you for the work that you're doing honestly because you don't even know like that is like for example the way that it would change a life change your children's life how they interact with other children like if i was a child interacting with your children that would change my life for the better as a child which would help promote me to change someone else's life because it goes into that sharing is caring mode you know so that's why one of the reasons why it was I was drawn to watch the video that you had posted and I'm watching it and I'm here crying in tears I'm here crying like a baby and I'm just like I hope this I, said, I wonder if she even knows how many people are watching this and how many people this is touching because it is, it's one of those things where it's like, you know what? And then it makes you think, am I doing the work that I should be doing? Mm-hmm. And it makes you have that conversation with yourself. It makes you think. So thank you for the video that you did because that video, honestly, if you, if people really take the time and sit back and just watch it, it, it's, it's one of those thought provoking conversations after you watch that, that you got to have with yourself. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that, honestly. Oh, I really do appreciate it. And this was not scripted at all for anybody who's listening. <laughs> this is, I mean, I yeah. really do. It, it, I am so grateful that that prompted a whole conversation that we had, right? Like mm-hmm. you friended me because we weren't Facebook friends yet. And then we, I was like, hey, <laughs> like, wow, it's been mm-hmm. so long. Um, yeah. And the fact that we were... Yeah, I don't know. It's it's just so funny how, and that, that video is like two years old, I think. So it's like so funny how mm-hmm. these things just kind of come back around, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, it so. Is. Go ahead. Hold on. I, I, I think I actually am going to keep what you just, all that, a lot of what you just said and start, mm-hmm. the, I, I do need to introduce you. <laughs> We just like okay. <laughs> we need to actually like set the set the listener like into our space so they kind of know what they're listening to. But I mm-hmm. wanted you know you, even before I hit record, you shared this amazing story mm-hmm. about your mom and how she kind of ta- she taught you to connect with the person who's alone, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and then I was like, I need to hit record before I before we just kind of go off on a tangent. And I'm really glad we did. Um, so now that we're kind of through that (laughs) I need to I need to orient the listener um and so we so this is Nicole Nicole Harrison um we know each other from second grade like really long Mm -hmm. time ago and but we we actually I don't remember the last time we actually conversed um I I think it's been a while I don't know it would have probably been middle school because we had the same gym class in middle school I want to say maybe like seventh or eighth grade uh-huh. We had the same gym class. Oh my gosh. So it would have been like seventh or eighth grade, yeah. Because we yeah. were on different teams in middle school. Mm-hmm. 
it's yeah so I don't yeah. I don't even think I remember that and I, I feel like you know it's so funny because like I do feel like I have a like decent memory but mm-hmm. but then like someone says something like that and it's like oh I'll remember like other <laughs> although middle school was a blur like I was um I was just talking to Joanna yesterday and it was like it mm-hmm. it was a middle school was a thing so anyway <laughs> Nicole she has <laughs> she has an associate's in paralegal studies and a bachelor's in human resources and management um, so you're a people person. I think that that kind of comes yeah. through in your conversation. Um, and she has worked in a lot of industries and isn't afraid to ask thought-provoking questions, I think, to her herself as well as to others mm-hmm. when, I, when I'm listening to you speak. Um, and as Nicole was saying, like, we reconnected because she watched a video. Well, um, Joanna Bennett, who is going to be a guest in um, this season as well, and I don't know if she'll be before or after this episode, but... Joanna Bennett posted a podcast episode that I did with someone else from our town, um, mm-hmm. Cindy, and then you you saw that and kind of followed the Facebook trail to back to yeah. me where you watched a video that I had posted a couple of years back um, about social justice and a little, a little bit of kind of that work that I'm doing, and I'll, I'll probably link to that in the show notes. And then you friended me, and then we reconnected, and then we started chatting, and Mm-hmm. And you shared this um, just really eye-opening story to me. Um, and I was like, oh, I need to have her on because this the theme for this season is unlearning. And what prompted me was the unlearning that I received from your story. I feel like I'm so discombobulated. So we're doing things out of, out of order. But I also want to acknowledge that I am speaking and podcasting from the traditional and unceded territories of the Nipmuc and Massachusetts tribes. And um, a land acknowledgement is something I share before every episode, and this it, this is a kind of a weird time to chime in, but I, I do think that some things need to be said, and sometimes there's not the best timing for it, because but mm-hmm. the acknowledgement needs to happen, um, because that is a value that I'm holding dear, and um, I think that's a representation of we got to do the work, and we, we do it when mm-hmm. we can, and it's not just a checkbox. But there also isn't a perfect time for it sometimes. So mm-hmm. that being said, I I don't even know where to start with, with you, Nicole. Like it's like there's so many things that I want to dive into, especially yeah. after we just <laughs> we've been we've been facing tech issues. So we've been on the phone for a while and then um and then you shared your story about your vacation and I I, I do I do I kinda wanna start with um this your experience, you know. We were in the same second grade class, and we were. Mm-hmm. You mentioned to me that you had just moved to the town, and I—that was my first year at Fairview at our elementary school. Um, and so we were kind of mm-hmm. both new in class, but I actually didn't know that about you. Um, so I would love for you to share kind of your experience growing up. Um, I just—I personally learned so much from it, and I think that it, your character shines through. Um, and understanding like who you are shines through mm-hmm. that story. So I grew up in one town next to the town I ended up moving to. And I had a couple of different cousins, including my sister, that we all went to the same elementary school. And it was kind of like, you know, you didn't really bother us or pick on us. You know, we went in, we did what we had to do with school. My cousin, the only boy cousin, was very popular. You know, everybody loved him. 
Um, and then we had the rest of us cousins that were sprinkled throughout. And it kind of created that feeling of safety because, you know, you had a couple cousins there and you were good. You didn't have to worry about too much. And after first grade, we moved. And then at that point, we were going to Fairview. So um, that for me was different. It wasn't different as a, as the type of, you know, the culture with the different type of children and everything. That wasn't different because my old school had that too. You know, it was one of those things like I was just used to. I just figured, okay, to do school, you know. You know, you had your first day jitters and you were afraid, you know, what was going to go on and how it was going to work, you know, because you're a kid, you know, you don't, you're used to having friends around. And when I went into Fairview, it was a culture shock because when you think about it, African, there weren't a whole lot of African-American children there. And that didn't really scare me so much because, you know, as a child, you kind of look for children that look like you or people that, you know, have things in common. You know, I had, you know, braids in my hair. So I was like, okay, are there other people with braids in their hair? You know, um, I didn't really have a dress style. It was just, I wore whatever I wore. I didn't care, you know, and it was kind of like, you're there and you're looking for people that look like you. And the first experience I had was on a playground. And one of the kids that to me seemed to be like one of the popular kids, or I guess, you know, for like a lot of the girls there, I guess they consider he was like one of the cute kids and all the girls were running around chasing him and everything. And I was, and I was like, okay, so they're running around chasing them, so I'm going to run around and chase them too to see why we're chasing them, you know, because it was just, I don't know. And at one point, he stopped and said to me, what are you doing here, N-word, and why are you with us? And I'm like, huh? Now, I just found out the day before what the N-word was and what it meant because my dad was watching a movie and somebody had said it and I thought the word was weird and I ran and I had said it to my sister. My mom heard me and she stopped me and I had gotten in trouble for it and she explained to me what the N-word was, why it was bad, what it meant, how it can hurt somebody and why we should not be using it, even if we hear someone else say it on TV or an adult say it to somebody or whoever, if you hear it when you're out in the street, um, and how that can, how it can be hurtful. So the fact that that just happened the day before, and now here I am and somebody says it to me and it's another child, that hurt me on levels I couldn't even fathom. I couldn't even figure it out. All I know is I ran off. And I was in the corner crying. And it's crazy because I don't even remember if I had come home and told my mom about it or not. Because I think if I had, that she would have raised more of an issue with the school than what happened. So I don't remember if I told her. But I think I kind of like just pushed it away and decompartmentalized it. So that way it was just like kind of hidden. So I didn't, so I didn't really act on it. But what I didn't know was that was the beginning of what was to come. And almost every day, I got picked on. 
if it wasn't, it may not necessarily been the same person, but it could have been people, you know, from that group or other people that saw me and saw that I was different. Almost every single day I got picked on. There wasn't a day that I didn't get picked on. And it was a regular occurrence. And my thing was I was trying to figure out, well, why? What's wrong with me? What am I doing? And as children, our main thing is we all want to fit in, right? We all want to be accepted. We all want to fit in. We all want people to like us. And so what did I do? I said, okay, so they're picking on me for the way that I talk. They're picking on me for, you know, the sassiness with my head when I talk, when I get mad. Like they're picking on me for all my little aspects. So, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to try to change that. I'm going to try to change myself so that I fit in. I can't really change my looks. My hair is braided. I can't change that. That's just, you know, a part of me. I can't change that. But try to change the personal aspects of who I am. Maybe they'll accept that. I tried. It didn't work. It was just like, okay, you know, you still, even, I got picked on for having my hair in braids. So what, what, the thing was, what exactly could I do to change my hair? Nothing. I got picked on for having freckles. I didn't have as many as I have now because the sun has done this. I got picked on for having freckles. I got picked on for everything under the sun. So I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I give up. I've changed myself as much as I can. I give up. And I don't know if you remember, but around between fifth and sixth grade, we started having um, the classes for special needs children, which actually took over. I don't remember. Did you have Miss S back in second grade? No. Okay. There was a classroom for second grade, you know that main floor we used to be on? Mm -hmm. There was a classroom there where I know my second grade class was, that floor. Mm -hmm. That room and the room next to it got changed into two classrooms for special needs children. Mm -hmm. And once I found out that there were special needs children, my thought was, okay, there's special needs children. These are children that were like me because they just want to be accepted. They just want to find friends. So what I started doing was on my lunch break, instead of going outside, I would go and work with them. The teachers that were there would allow uh, the students to come in to actually help them prep their lunch, get to go downstairs to the cafeteria, get their lunch and bring it upstairs for them. So you'd sit there, you'd have lunch with them, you'd talk with them. You know, if it was a nice day, they had specific days at the jungle gym that was up there that they were allowed to use the jungle gym. And I'd go out with the teachers with them and help them, you know, just make sure that they were okay while they were at the jungle gym, make sure other people weren't, you know, picking on them or anything. So it was kind of like I was almost like a teacher's aide, but I was still in fifth and sixth grade. So I started doing that at lunchtime. Every day at lunchtime, that's where I would go. I stopped trying to fit in with the people in our grade because I wasn't being accepted and all I got was picked on. So if I saw I was being picked on, okay, maybe I could help them and make sure they're not being picked on because they don't know how to counteract that. They don't know how to combat that. But 
if they pick, if I see them getting picked on, I'm not going to allow that to happen because they have special needs. They were born special. And each of their ways that they were special, each one of those children, whether they had Down syndrome, whether they had um, issues with walking, talking, you know, we had phase. Remember we had phase in like mm-hmm. third, grade. third grade, was it? Yep. Miss Tani's class. I know we had yep. phase. Yep. And from phase, that pushed me more to continue to like want to help people and want to be more accepting, you know, people with disabilities, people who have different issues that are going on that they were born with. And they were born with those things. Why? Because in my eyes, God said that they're strong enough to deal with it. They're strong enough to be able to survive it. So it's like, okay, I see these people who have these kind of things, and okay, how can I help? And I've always been like a help help mentality. How can I help? How can I help make it easier for them? How can I help, you know, get them to understand? You know, it's going to be difficult, but you got this. You were born this way because you've got this. You were born with the strength to have it. So a lot of these kids, when we hit fifth, and I feel like I went through what I went through in second grade, and then got to the part with phase, and it was all like helping me to get stronger. And these children that I worked with, it helped promote my love for working with children, my love for helping to build an understanding and build a rapport with children when I see that they're feeling lost or they're feeling left out or they're possibly being picked on. So that's another aspect of what I wanted to do what I wanted to do when I graduated high school. Like that was where I thought I wanted to go. And because of what I experienced in high school, those things that I experienced, you know, I never held ill will towards anybody that, you know, picked on me or any of that. I never held ill will because I understood that a lot of those things that were coming out were taught at home. Mm. And a lot of it came from, you know, that old school mentality of the way their parents were raised and their grandparents were raised and different things like that. And I just took what I saw and said, okay, I see this. I see how it's hurtful. How can I turn it around to be positive? Because that negative, that negativity, if I had let that just sit on me, that probably would have destroyed me from a young age. And that's not, you know, that's not something I never wanted to be mean like that to somebody else or cruel or just the different things that I went through. So helping the children in fifth and sixth grade, that helped me to say, okay, you know what? I know what I went through. I know what I experienced. So let's all, let's just work on making it better for the next. And that's when I started with that. So once I left, elementary school, then I went to high, then I went to middle school. And I was like, okay, you know, middle school is going to be a fresh start. You know, it's going to be different types of people. You know, the acceptance level might be a little better. You know, it's going to be different. And I get there and I was like, ooh, now there's more people that look like me. There's more people with braids and my skin tone, you know, and skin tone similar to mine, lighter, darker, beautiful skin tones, beautiful, you know, beautiful, like melting pots of people. And I was like, okay, 
but I hit a wall. Middle school, I wasn't accepted either because going back to how I had tried to change myself to fit in, I didn't realize that that had a term in the African-American community, which was considered acting white, talking white. And that was the first thing I got hit with in middle school. When I went to groups and I tried to be accepted by people and, you know, tried to have conversations, the first thing I got was, why do you talk white? Why do you act white? And I'm like, say what? <laughs> like, what is this? Like, what, 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 what is this idea of acting white, talking white? And when I would ask, what is that? They're like, well, you talk like a white person. I said, but what does that mean? What is talking like a white person? They're like, you act like a white person. I said, what is acting like a white person? And I'm like, I said, you're telling me this is what I do. So explain it to me. What is it? And one of the girls said to me, well, you don't talk with slang. You don't talk with Ebonics. You know, you, you, you know, when you talk, you talk very proper. It's proper English. It's proper enunciation. And I'm like, proper enunciation, proper English. If I don't speak so that you can understand me, then how are you going to understand me? I'm supposed, and I'm like, I am coming from, coming from Fairview. I didn't know what Ebonics was. I had no clue. I'm like, huh? I'm like, I'm just trying to talk to you to have a conversation with you. I didn't realize there was a level of how I'm supposed to talk so that you understand. It's not like it's a whole other language. We're both speaking English. <laughs> what am I missing? And I mean, I could not grasp that for the life of me because I'm like, I don't get it. I, I, I don't get it. What is it? So that's when I realized, you know what? You can try to change yourself again to try to fit in once again, but last time it didn't work. So, you know, I just kind of went by the wayside and just watched people and had conversations with different people. And, you know, at one point there was a group of people, friends that accepted me. And, you know, those are the people that I talked to and hung out with and different things. And then, of course, you know how drama happens. And the little group dispersed. And I ended up having one friend that ended up being like a really good friend, I want to say for seventh, in seventh grade. And after, shortly after, I guess once we got to like eighth grade, we weren't really around each other a whole lot. And the friendship kind of didn't fizzle out, but it kind of got distant. And that's more so of the the way I term it, and people laugh at me when I say it. But you know that whole you're a friend for a reason, season or lifetime? That's what I kind of put that in into the box because, you know, even to this day, on different levels, different things could happen and or something she could post that happens, and I'll go in and I'll leave a comment, just like an uplifting comment to her. Um, for example, um, when uh, my boyfriend passed away a couple of years ago, um, she showed up at his services, and she was there, like, to support me. Even though we hadn't talked for 
years. 2014, she showed up to support me at his services. And I truly appreciated that because, you know, during that time in middle school, you know, that was a time where nobody was really there as like a support system, but me and her were friends. Like that was my best friend back then. So I appreciated even years later her support. And, you know, over the years, as th things have happened, whether it was on her side or my side, we've always managed to, like, leave each other a message, like, of support. And after, like, that friendship, that was, like, the only main friendship I had. Going into high school, that was a whole other territory because I went into school with trying to focus on academics and trying to keep my grades up because, you know, I wanted to go to an HBCU so bad. I really did. Like, that was where I wanted to go. But things happened at home, and I had to switch out with the classes I was taking. And even though the the higher classes that I was, the, the AP classes that I was taking, I was doing really, really good in those. I mean, to the point where I made honor roll. I had the little honor roll pin on my book bag. I was, like, proud of myself. I was like, you know what? I was doing, you know, good. And I was doing good because I had just started to learn how I study. I don't know if this was something that you were, that affected you when you were in school, but I never knew how to, how to study so that I could retain the information. I would spend hours and hours studying. I'd get to the test, and I would know nothing. My grades were going down because I didn't know how to study. I had no clue. Like, I just thought, okay, you sit there, you go over the information, you know, you're going to start to retain it, you keep going over, going over. Yeah, that didn't work for me. I figured out I needed flashcards in order to study. So I had to get actual index cards, write the question on the front, the answer on the back and lay them out and flip them back and forth to ask myself the question to give the answer. And once I did it, I'd flip it, go through all of them. And then I would tell, I'd look, then I'd go back after I went through all, so say there's 20 of them. After I went back, I'd look at it. I'd see the answer, and then I'd have to ask myself the question. So this is the answer, but what's the question? And then I'd have to tell myself the question and flip it back. And I do that multiple times. And that's how I was able to learn and retain the information that we were being taught and were going to be tested on. So now here I am, I'm doing well with my grades. Then I had the, a couple different things going on at home. So I had to switch my classes so that I could go to career option classes instead of AP classes, which are the classes that would prepare you more so for college. So I did the, the CO classes, career option, so that way I could start going to work. And going to work now became my way of getting out of school so that I didn't have to worry about being accepted by people. I didn't have to worry about that social time of, okay, you know, who am I going to talk to? Am I going to have friends? I didn't have to worry about that. I focused more so on going to work. So as soon as I could, that's what I was doing. I was going to school, getting my grades, and going to work. Because one of the things I noticed, one of the groups I had tried to fit in with, I had that pin on my backpack that was, you know, for honor roll. The group of people who I thought that I was becoming friends with, 
They started picking on me because I had that pin on my backpack. They started picking on me because I was smart. So then it was like, okay, to interact with them, now I have to start dumbing myself down, making it seem like I'm not smart, making it seem like I don't know stuff that I know. Like they could be having a conversation, and I would bring something into the conversation that was linked to something I had learned or something I knew or something I had seen like on a documentary. And as soon as I did that, I'd get bashed for it and made fun of for it. So that group of people I slowly ended up moving away from because I'm like, I can't keep changing myself to be accepted. I can't dumb myself down from the stuff that I do know that I want to have a conversation about that would add to their conversation. I can't, I can't do that. Like, so I said, you know what? I'm just going to move away, focus on my grades, focus on going to work, seeing, you know, what kind of industry I want to go into. And at that point, I was working in culinary. So it was like, you know, I wanted to be work on cooking and bake, you know, cooking because my mom is a great baker. My mom is like one of the top bakers that I've ever met. I don't know if you remember Miss Tear from, I think, I want to say she was fifth, fifth grade. grade. Mm-hmm. When, my, when my mom used to bake, like at Christmas time, when they used to have the bake sales at school, and my mom would make baskets and stuff. And I'll never forget, fifth grade, Miss Tear went with me downstairs because she knew my mom had donated stuff for the bake sale. Miss Tear made me walk around with her and point out every single basket my mom made. She bought every single basket. My mom had donated like 15 baskets of homemade stuff. Miss Tear bought every single basket. It wasn't, it, the bake sale hadn't even started good. That is hilarious. <laughs> she went and bought, and you remember those old, I forget, it's like those little tan carts they used to have. It was like two levels with the mm-hmm. wheels. Yeah, like the projectors and, and stuff to, like that. Yeah, they used to use it for the projectors. Mm-hmm. She had taken that that cart from the cafeteria lady that they had. They had a version there. She took that cart out of their room and literally filled the cart with every single basket my mom donated. And Miss Tier bought every single one. And I was like in shock because I knew my mom was a good baker. Nobody could tell me my mom wasn't. That my mom, awesome when it comes to baking. Even now to this day, she's still a great baker, great. And she can bake if you. And the odd part is she can bake like if you can't have dairy, wheat, or gluten, she can still bake something for you, and it will still be amazing. And that right there, I was just like in shock because I was just like. This teacher just bought up all my mother's stuff. <laughs> I was like, okay. And it was weird to me, but it was something that, like, to me, it was also touched me because it's like, oh, well, my mom's able to touch people through food. And that was something that stuck with me. So that was one of the reasons why I wanted to go into cooking. So I was working as a prep chef. I guess it was like sophomore year in high school at the office bar and grill that used to be in Montclair here. And I loved cooking. I love prepping. I love making the food. I love learning. I love learning how you put, you know, if you're doing a saute and you have it in a pan and you go like that without it splattering you and you can still keep it in the pan. Like that was my, my top accomplishment. Learning how to do that within a week. I was like, yes, I got it. And every single time I was like, they say, who wants to do sautés? Oh, me, me, me. So I can work on continuing to flip. So I enjoyed it. 
But then I realized if you work in culinary, you don't get to have family time. Holidays, you got to be in there cooking. Christmas, Thanksgiving, everything, you got to work. So I said, that's not really what I want to do. But I continued to go through school to career and cooking and did that and continued through that and said, okay, you know what? This isn't really what I want to do. And in the back of my head, I still wanted to work with children too. But I didn't want to go to college for the length of time I'd have to to do that because I was just like, look, I'm, I don't want to do any – I don't want to do a whole lot of schooling. I want to go in so to get whatever kind of degrees I can get so that way I don't have to be in school for a lifetime and I can come out, hit the ground running with working and being a sponge and obtaining knowledge. So I went through that whole thing with culinary. That was a no. And I continued to work. I started out in retail. I started out working um, at ShopRite. And I was doing chefs because it was still culinary, still for school. And I went from not even looking for that acceptance anymore. I was just, I'm like, okay, I'm out. I'm working. I'm me. I can, I can be who I am. I can interact with people, you know, talk to different people on different levels. And, you know, when you look at a place like ShopRite, which is, you know, a regular grocery store, you know, you interact and you see people on all kinds of levels. You know, you have your store managers, your assistant managers, your supervisors, department managers. And I talked to all these different people and, you know, to see what were your career aspirations? You know, what did you like? What didn't you like? You know, you've been here and a lot of them have been at ShopRite for years. A lot of those people have been there years. And one of the things I learned was a lot of them, even though they didn't really like where they were because they didn't like the way people saw them because of the capacity they worked in, they were happy with what they were doing. And that's one of those things that always stuck out for me. It's like, I want to be happy with what I do. I want to find something that feeds my soul that feeds me, that makes me feel like I'm making a difference some way, somehow. So I continued, you know, I went from ShopRite, I continued to work in retail. And when I was in retail, um, I put in for a supervisor position at a different retail store, um, and I didn't get it. Even though at that point I was 19 and I had been a front-end supervisor at ShopRite, so it's like you're being a front-end supervisor. You're supervising a whole board of people plus extra people who aren't really in your department, but you're still keeping an eye on them. So, you know, I'm 19, and when I tell you all the responsibilities I had in that job, from managing a board which worked, where you were working with people from senior citizens to kids younger than you, you're learning how to interact with all people from all ages. Because the way you talk to a senior citizen who you need who you need to understand is wiser, who knows more, who's seen more, to how you're interacting with someone who's way younger than you, you gotta be able to flip flop and understand you need the level of respect you need to have when you talk to them and the kindness you need to have when you talk to them. 
and it went back to what I learned in elementary school about just being kind, just being genuine and caring and keeping eye contact when you talk to them so that they know you're not trying to be better than them. You're not trying to make them feel like they're lower than you. You just want to genuinely make sure they're okay, genuinely make sure that you can help them, and if they have an issue, let them know that they can come to you. Even though you're younger than them, they can come to you. And at that point, you're still going to help them be heard if something's going on and they need an advocate. So here I am at 19 trying to advocate for people. And that was one of those things that, like, for me, kind of changed the process of what I wanted to do. So I ended up in between saying, okay, you know what? I'm going to go to school to be a paralegal. And from there, I'm going to go to school for human resource and management because I want to be an advocate. I want to be one of those people that can help you if there's something about your job you don't know or you have or your health benefits and things that I was finding. You know, nobody tells you these things. Like you get hired in a job, but how many of them really go into your health benefits or what you have, you know, your vacation time, you know, what, what's available to you? A lot of them don't. A lot of them just hire you. They give you your packet, say, here you go. Welcome to the job, and you go on your merry way. So I started to see that there was a lot of people who didn't know what they had, what was available to them, you know, health care, you know, mental, you know, what for mental, like some people had things that were going on mentally that they didn't even know how to talk about. And there's different things that were available to them they didn't know about. So that pushed me to actually end up going to school to be a paralegal and human resource, get my degree in human resource and management because over the years I've had ta- worked with so many different people. And even in leaving working at ShopRite and sticking with another real talk, um, retail company, I also, while I was in college, I, for my paralegal degree, I worked at Essex County Courts. And there, that was a whole different ballgame because I worked in arbitration. So if you know about arbitration, arbitration is more so um, the, the department I worked in was general equity. So it would be arbitration for, well, actually, no, rewind back. When my in, with my paralegal degree, I did my internship in general equity, which was more so for um, foreclosures, um, if there was a lien against a property, things like that. And the beauty of that internship was I was able to literally sit in the back of a courtroom as the judges that I was working with, and, you know, as a support person in that office, I was able to sit there through the cases and see people get up on a stand, testify, you know, um, their side, whether it was a defendant or a plaintiff, and see, you know, what they were saying and be able to read their body language and read what it was that I got from them. And the beauty of that is, is when Every time there was a recess for the day or for lunch, I was able to go back into the judge's chambers and be a part of the conversation that happened after. These conversations that as lay people, you know, we don't know what goes on. You know, most of us haven't been to court unless we've done jury duty and things like that. 
but to be a part of those conversations and to have the judge pick my brain on what I thought just because I was there, that was just, I couldn't even put it into words because it's like you're back in the judge's chambers and they're asking you, so what did you see? What did you think? What did you feel? And to have it be, there be cases where I'd be talking to these judges and the judges will be like, I felt the same thing. I saw that too. Or be like, hmm, I didn't pick up on that part. And then they'd go back because then, you know, all the cases were recorded. They'd go back to the tape and listen to it again and be like, aha, I missed that. And knowing that, you know what, I'm there for my internship but I'm also a part of helping them obtain the information they need to make a decision that was right, that was fair, that was just. That was just, like, mind-blowing to me. So, and to me, in a way, I was still advocating for what was right in that case. So that helped me even more so with that whole thing with advocating. And I went from that once the internship was over to working in arbitration, which was my arbitration area that I was focusing was more like um, lemon law. So like if you bought a car from a dealership and there was a used car and there was something wrong with it, um, you could, and you were going to bring a case against the dealership and stuff like that. It was more like those type of cases or personal injury cases. Oddly enough, a couple of those personal injury cases that I picked arbitrators for and did follow-up and stuff for, some of those were against the food store that I had previously worked for. So it's like some of the managers in there that weren't so kind to me when I worked there, when they came for these cases, they would look at me and they're like, what are you doing here? I said, oh, I'm setting up your arbitration case for the day. Not knowing I picked their arbitrator. And then I was the one that sometimes would sit in on some of their cases. And they'd be looking at me like, why is this girl here? I thought she was gone. Nope. People don't understand. Everything comes full circle. You never know who you're going to see again down the road, which is why I've always said you always make sure you're kind to people because you never, ever know when you're going to see them again. When you're going to need them, they're going to need you. You're going to have to be the bridge for something for them. You never know. And it just reminded me that one piece about kindness still. And in going to school and finishing out my degrees, I continued to focus on being an advocate. Um, I ended up working for a a book printing company that has since closed And we worked with a lot of people in um, China and Hong Kong with doing book printing. And once again, I figured out that I had to advocate for some of those people because the way that I would write what I would write, um, I didn't realize that in the translator, because there was a translator I had to write into for them to understand, I didn't realize some of the ways that I was writing. They couldn't understand. The translator couldn't break it down for them to understand. So now I had to figure out how to write what I need to write so that they'll understand. And that was a learning process in itself. 
because I'm just like, you know, you're here, you're writing, you know, proposals and all these different things for how you need the book printed. But now how do you break it down for them to understand? So now it's like you have a daily project of advocating for them so that they can understand. So it's one of those things where advocating, no matter where I've worked, has always been a part of my job. And the last job that I had, which was in private aviation, um, where I went from being a basically a secretary, executive administrative assistant, to being a QA inspector, it was one of those things where it's like, now, who are you advocating for? Now you're advocating for the client who's going to fly in a private jet. Now you're advocating to make sure that that jet is safe for your pilots, for the people who are going to be in that plane, you know, all the clients, the owner of the plane, the flight attendants of those planes. So I've always been on this thing now of just advocating and just making sure everybody's spoken for, everybody's seen, what's needed for everybody is seen. And when I look at it, it all comes from, it all, com it all comes from where I started out. And that one thing my mom told me years ago about always making sure the person that's the quietest in the room that you talk to them, that you build a rapport with them, that you build a friendship with them because everybody deserves to at least be seen and have that little bit of kindness. And in private aviation, what I started to learn was I wanted to make sure people were being seen. But at one point when I would go upstairs to the room upstairs where all the other executives were, and I'd have to go to pick up mail. They wouldn't even give me a pass card to get into the room. They wouldn't give me a pass card. They wouldn't give me a key. They would not allow me to go into that room to get what I needed to do my job. And never had that been heard of. Mind you, I am the only female and black female at that in the department that I was working in. And... I had to talk to my boss and say, hey, you know, there's paperwork I need to get so I can start my job before you even get here, and I can't get into that room. It took about six months just for me to get my access on my swipe card to get into that room. Six months. Okay. Now, mind you, I am the executive administrative assistant for the director of maintenance for these aircrafts that these people upstairs are trying to charter. If I don't have access to those records, I can't keep your times up to date so your planes can't fly. So you hindering me hinders you on how much money you can bring into the company. They don't see it that way. But okay. So then I finally got my pass card to go in. And I've never walked in a room without saying good morning to everybody. That's just not stopping at every single desk, but I walk in and say good morning, you know, just to acknowledge the people that are in the room. To me, that's just a sign of respect. And I noticed the first time I did that, I said good morning. One person looked up and said good morning out of a room of 15 people. 
Then I noticed the next day I walked in, I said, good morning, 15 people there. Nobody responded. I said, okay. So I just left it alone. I got to the point, I didn't even walk in the front door anymore. I'd go in the back door, grab what I needed, go back out the back door. Because I found nobody was going to speak. And I said, instead of being put in that awkward position, I'll just eliminate it altogether. Go in the back door, get what I need, go back downstairs. But the same people who wouldn't speak would always be the same people that needed me for information because they needed to know what was going on with the planes that they're trying to sell. But I guarantee you when they called me, I said, and I could see on my phone who was calling, good morning, so-and-so, how are you today? I started every single conversation with, good morning, how are you? And then get into what they needed. When they would come down to my office, they come in, oh, Nicole, do you have? No, no, no. Good morning. How are you? Okay, now what did you need? We're starting off on a good morning. How are you? So that way I can see what type of mood you're in so I can gauge how we can ease into what we need. Because if something is going on with you, I don't want you to transfer that, that energy onto me. So we're going to start with good morning. How are you? So I can see your eyes in case your eyes are a little rattly and something's going on. I need to know where we are, how, you know, what level we're on before we can proceed. So over time, I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I love the industry I'm in. I love what I'm, I love what I'm learning. But here's the issue. How many lives am I touching with what I'm doing? I barely can really talk to people other than the mechanics, the pilots, once in a blue moon an owner, but I'm not really touching lives. I'm here eight hours a day. I'm advocating for people, but I don't feel like I'm making enough of an impact. That's when I decided to give up aviation, give up the money, and stick with retail. Because in retail, in a minute's time, you can touch one person's life by saying, hello, how are you? And I started to notice the members. Mind you, the entire time from the time I was – in 2002, I actually started working for one retail company, and I've been there now 19 years. So even while I was in school for my degrees, because I went to Berkeley College, um, which is a business school, I went to Berkeley, five years, two degrees. So I got my paralegal degree and my bachelor's degree flip-flopped over, so I was doing it all at the same time. So I was doing that, and I was still working um, three jobs while I was doing that because I still was staying home. I still had to contribute towards the household. So, you know, I was doing my college degree. I was doing um, I was doing the, the two degrees together. I was working at one retail company. I was working for Godiva, I was working for Barnes and Noble, and I was working my internship. Okay, so technically I had four jobs plus full-time student, working around the clock, around the clock, around the clock, around the clock. And my paralegal degree was no joke. It was an ABA-proof school. It was one of those things in your reading, in your Englishes, your writing, your reading, your, um, uh, what is it? Uh, research, you had to have an, a B or better. If you had a C, 
if you got a D and F on anything, you're out that program. They kicked you out immediately. So the time that I had to spend in the legal library researching, on the legal sites researching, it was, it put you through the ringer. It really, really did. And it helped you look at situations a lot differently. I mean, harassment cases, um, you know, just abuse of power, you know, in different levels in the workplace. And that fell into my advocating stuff. And I was like, okay, we get it into this and going and looking at every single piece and every single detail. And those type of things, even though I was doing so much, and I didn't even realize how much I was doing and how much on the go I was. But all of those things made me stronger over time. All of those things helped with organization being detail-oriented, that each of those steps helped to shape, you know, to get into other things. And working in aviation, it's like, you know, I saw all those things were coming full fold, but it wasn't checking that box for helping to touch a life, at least one life every day. Retail does. Even though most people are like, I hate retail. I could never do a retail job. Me tell you. The people, well, the members that I've interacted with that have become family, I wouldn't replace them for anything because they have taught me so many things over the years. Um, in 2014, when my boyfriend passed away, um, most of the people that I had been interacting with in retail, they found me on social media. They showed up for his services. They showed up for me more than people that I've worked with. I looked up and I saw faces and I was just like, oh, my God. You all actually came out to support me without even knowing him. So that said to me, you are making the difference that you want to make. And it wasn't just like, you know, you have one or two members. It's like the members, the husband, the wife, and their children were showing up. And you know what it's like to see, like, little children that you've known since they were baby bumps come running up to you like, Mr. Cole, I'm so sorry. I hope everything's okay. Or little kids that you've seen since baby bumps running up and giving you flowers. You know what I mean? That, like, tells you you're doing something good. My eyes are getting watery. I'm going to try not to cry. But that tells you that you're doing something good. And that's the reason why I stayed with retail, because whether I have a conversation with somebody about cooking, air fryers, when they first came out, that was the biggest thing. And I was there, to, me, me and some of my members, we were having conversations about air fryer recipes. Every week I had some members that would come in there like, Nicole, I did this in the air fryer. I'm like, yes. I said, have you tried doing lamb in the air fryer? We would go through all kinds of, ooh, all kinds of recipes and things. And I had members that would come just to talk about recipes. Um, I had members that would come and we would talk about health things, you know, different things that, you know, people are eating that are making them sick or whatever the case was. And it was just those little conversations that were changing people's lives. It was those little conversations that, you know, when people be like, oh, well, I'm young, I'm getting arthritis in my hands. Like, I can't pick this up. Okay. Now I had to go back into my book from what I knew with my mom with what are they eating? Are you eating wheat? Are you eating gluten? 
Are you ODing and eating too much of it? That's what's causing your hand problems. That's what's causing your knee problems. And we'd have all these conversations because, you know, my mom was on her journey of getting healthy. And I was on my journey of getting healthy. And that's how we found out about, like, celiac disease and um, issues with wheat and gluten and dairy. You know, I was I had gone vegetarian for a while. And that's what I found. That's when I started learning about blood pressures and things like that. So it's all these different things. Oh, and blood types, too, which is so important that people don't realize. That's when I started finding out all these things. And then members would come in and they would be having issues. And I'm like, hold up. I just found out about that. Okay, let me explain this to you. And then they'd come back and be like, Nicole, you know what? I realized I was having the same issue you were having. I did this and this and this and this. And, oh, my God, it's so much better. I mean, we've had conversations. I've had conversations with people from things simple as to recipes, simple as to, you know, daily things. Um, some of the women that have come in, I've had conversations with them about, like, menstrual um, period issues and stuff like that, things that people don't even realize that the, some of the sicknesses that they've had, you know, are things that they can control that they didn't realize. So we've had, I've had all kinds of conversations with people. And that's one of the reasons why I truly enjoy it because it's like I've been through these things. So I can share this information with you. If you come to me and you want to know, I will share the information with you. I will help you. And a lot of that stuff has also come true to fold too with COVID. Because during COVID, you know, I'm like, okay, I work in retail. I have access to things that, you know, people may be trying to get that they can't get because either they're home with their kids because their kids are, you know, aren't going to school. You know, it could be simple as Lysol and toilet paper, which would we have known that Lysol and toilet paper would have been as important as they were these last two years? It's like the, the whole Lysol toilet paper craze. And there were people that I knew that we went to school with, people who never even talked to me, who now all of a sudden, show up at Costco, and I'm, like, talking to them, and they're like, oh, have you guys had toilet paper? Have you had this? Have you had that? And I'm like, yeah, we get it in. And they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm working or I'm home with the kids and I can't get to it. And I'm like, okay, you give me your phone number. I'll give you mine. And soon as it comes in, I will text you. I will pick it up for you, and I will leave it on your doorstep. Because you know what I realized with COVID? We got to do more. If we have access to supplies, or access to something that people have, it's our responsibility to make sure people that need it can get it. I don't care if you were mean to me in high school. We're going to exchange information. I'm going to help you get what you need. I don't care how you treated me because at this point we're adults. Hopefully your mindset has changed. You have evolved. You're on a better level now. What, what do you need? Let me know what you need. I will make sure you get it. I don't care what it is. If you have a child that's sick and you need gloves or you need um the what is it the alcohol pads to clean because they have to they need um to do injections or whatever the case may be, I got you. As soon as it comes in, I will get it for you. And it all comes back to bringing kindness back. Just that little bit of kindness can go miles. We don't need, and people don't realize it. And I kind of feel like, too, that's one of those reasons why COVID is still around and COVID's not going to go away because I feel like COVID is one of these things where 
There's more that we should be doing as people that we're not doing. What it's about is everybody coming together and supporting each other for the tough decisions that we're going to have to make and being kind, being caring, helping each other, even if it's as simple as me giving you a can of Lysol spray or a roll of toilet paper or a roll of paper towel. Just be there, even if it's as simple as just being on the phone and having a conversation with somebody. Hey, how are you? Do you need anything? That's what counts. That's what counts. Getting back to that simple aspect of kindness and caring and sharing when you can what you can. You may not be able to give somebody money. You may not have, you know, the money because you might be in your own financial issue. But if you can help, help in any way you can. As simple as you may not want to hug somebody because, you know, it's okay. As simple as a hi, how are you? And making the eye contact to let them know you're caring and you are waiting for a response as to how they are and not the robotic, yeah, hi, how are you? And run. No, no, no. Hi, how are you today? How's everything? How are you doing? How's your family doing? And building those rapports. And that's why I tell people, you know, I've been through a lot. I've seen a lot. But what I continue to try to do is to use that to continue to build kindness. And hope and pray that the kindness I show one person, that they can pay it forward and show that kindness to somebody else. And hopefully it, it will snowball. You know, hopefully it it will make an impact in somebody else's life, adult, children, whoever. And that's one of those things that I'm just like, you know what, I may not be a millionaire, billionaire, have a ton of money, but if I can share one thing and it's kindness in any way, that's what I'm going to do. And even if it's in retail, I don't care. I'm going to do it. Some people are like, oh, you know, you know, you talk too much to that member. I don't care. Because guess what? When you get here, I'm going to talk to you, too. We're going to have a conversation, too. Because if you come up to me, we were meant to have a conversation. We were meant to interact. For some reason, some way, to me, God put that person in my path for me to interact with them. And that's what I'm going to do. That's just me. I, I just let you go with it. Your story? Like, I think that the way that you've tied everything in and there's just so many themes that I'm taking away from this obviously the idea of kindness and the act of kindness um the the not knowing what people are going through right like that is such a huge thing like for instance I like I had no idea what you were going through and we shared multiple classes throughout elementary Mm -hmm. school and we shared the playground at lunchtime. Um, and it just goes to show that we all have our own stuff and yes. And I love this, just this idea of like, how can we just be nice? How can we be kind to one another? How can we, Mm -hmm. how can we bring that back into general relationships and, um, and I, and I also appreciate the idea of advocacy, and I think mm-hmm. that that word is a really big word for some people. It feels, like, overwhelming, mm-hmm. but when you're talking about advocacy, it's not, like, 
getting on the streets and and making a big fuss or not fuss but like really making taking a stand and like having it be like a really big thing that's like almost like exhausting right like I feel like advocacy that word but like you're talking about like just helping people I think that that's like how Mm -hmm. you view it I don't know how would you view advocacy I see it more so as helping people helping people to understand that each person has the right to have the information they need to have. Each person has the right to have the best life they could possibly have. And the goal is to make sure everybody's doing right by each other. Because there's a lot of ways where people are just being treated like they're just another number instead of us human beings. And all of us deserve to be treated as human beings. All of us deserve to um, understand what is going on in our lives so that we can control the things that we need to make the proper decisions about. You know, a lot of people make a decision, but they don't have all the information because it's not given to them. And there's also a lot of people that are in areas and jobs that they get treated horribly for just because of their job title, you know, and people treat them one way. And it's like, you know, when you look at it, it's like they're just because of their title, they should not be given any less. They should not be treated any less. You know, everybody starts from somewhere. And what they're doing, they may be doing what they're doing for a different reason than what others understand. And it may not necessarily be a reason that the person wants to share, but still treat them like a human being. Still treat them like they matter. Still treat them with the same respect. I don't care if it's somebody who cleans a floor. Still treat them with the same respect that you would treat a billionaire with, you know? Treat them with the same respect, the same kindness, the same still be caring towards them and not look at it so much for, oh, well, you know, you you just clean a floor. You just do this. No. Everybody's job matters every little piece of it, because at the end of the day, if that person that cleans that floor, there's, a, there's water on that floor. If that person that cleans that floor doesn't get that water clean up, you could still, you could still trip or fall. Now, you trip or fall, you're hurt, you're out of work. Now, what happens to you? That person's job was just as important as your part of that job to keep that company moving. Everybody's role is has its own intricate part of keeping a company moving, whatever the company is. And you gotta you have to respect each of those jobs, the titles, what they're doing, the per, the fact that they show up every day and they do that job. You have to respect it. You have to. Because that it's it's important. Every level is important. Every level. And having people understand and that the way you treat people is important speaks volumes. Speaks volumes. It really, really does. 
I think that COVID, especially the pandemic, has shined a light on a lot of aspects of like work. I mean, like the fact that so many people are leaving their jobs, but then also yeah. like what jobs are truly important and and like the world will stop running if people didn't clean floors and didn't take out the trash and didn't, you know, yes. get groceries for you and all those jobs that we see as I say it was like we but like society sees as lower and less than and like yes. get paid measly amounts yes. those they don't they don't happen like, like things wouldn't mm -hmm. happen without that so um I think that that's I think that no matter where we are on this like whether whatever job we may hold whether we are mm -hmm. uh whether we do clean floors or whether we are sitting in an office somewhere i think there's always some like internal biases that we can always yeah check ourselves with right like just like mm -hmm. take notice like as as i'm listening to him like even even i know that i have a little bit of that in me even like mm -hmm. um being in a household with immigrant parents and like with family members who had different jobs that weren't, you know, like quote unquote fancy. Um, we all have that within us and it's like, it's really important. And I'm sorry if you hear the construction. Um, okay. But I, I think that your story, you share a completely different angle to that. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, retail can actually, like people are in retail and I, my favorite job was working at a Asian grocery store. It, like that was my first job as a teenager. And that mm -hmm. was like probably my favorite job ever because of a lot of the things that you said. And I was like, oh, maybe I should go back into retail <laughs> right now. Let me, let me tell you, a lot of people hate retail. They hate it. But when I look at it, I've been with this company for 19 years. 19 years. And just for the season, this season, I just became a supervisor. And even in the capacity of being a supervisor, the one thing that I enjoy about that is it falls into advocating again. Because I got to see during COVID how good people can be and how mean people can be. You know, I went from being in the store to working outside the store during COVID. I was one of those people that was outside cleaning shopping carts sanitizing shopping carts. During COVID on those days where it was snowing, we had a hailstorm when we were out there. One of those days it was pouring rain when we were out there. I mean, it was crazy weather, but we were out there. I was out there with a gr amazing group of coworkers cleaning shopping carts, sanitizing, drying. We were out there counting the number of people going in the building, counting the number of people coming out the building. Like we were on it, literally on it. And it was, we had some of those people who, you know, um, when the store, before the store would open, because I mean, the store was opening at like seven o'clock in the morning and the line was wrapped around the building. You would have people coming up, you know, that would be nice. You have people who would be nasty, but it was the nice ones who would say, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for sanitizing the carts. Thank you for worrying about keeping our families clean because we would never allow somebody to take a cart that hadn't been sanitized into the store. If there was a cart that was found abandoned in the store, we would gather it and have it pushed out into our dirty cart line and those 
to be cleaned all over again. We would never allow a dirty cart to go into the store. If we haven't sanitized it in our eyes, it was a dirty cart. And I literally worked outside. Like the new people that were coming in, like to help out because of the people who had gotten sick, I had no clue who the new people were working in the store because I worked outside eight hours a day. Some days we, nope, there'd be complete call outs. There'd be nobody to come to work. And they said, can you stay? Okay, I'll stay. Can you come in earlier? I'll come in earlier. So I had some days where I did like 10-hour days. The days when it was really cold, I would go to Dunkin' Donuts and get like the box of hot chocolate or a box of like the latte. Tell them, make up lattes and just throw it in that box of Joe and take it. So we would have warm stuff to drink because it was super cold. And even like buying food, we would like buy food and have the food come in because, you know, we weren't getting breaks and stuff on time sometimes because there was nobody to relieve us. But that kind and caring aspect came in because we worked together. We made sure everybody was, you know, okay, oh, you don't feel good? Okay, you need some oil oregano? I got some at home. I will bring it for you today. <laughs> you take it with your water. We're going to make sure. And we stayed and we were making sure everybody was okay. And even then it's like we're coming together. And even with the members, some of the members would come and say, oh, you guys need anything? You okay? One of the um, the girls that we went to school with, it's kind of weird because I don't know if it's okay with saying names, if it's not okay with saying names of people. But um, one of the girls we went to school with, and I'm pretty sure you know her, um, her family, her, her sister still works for, like, Board of Education and stuff. And I was kind of friends with her in high school. Um, but with everything that happened with COVID, like, you know, there were things that her family needed and I would pick stuff up and we'd have the battle about whether or not they were going to send me money or not. And I'm like, no, do not send me money. I do not want money. And then I'd look up and it'd be them cash at me money or something and stuff for it. And we would go back and forth with that. So I was like, do not send me money. I have access to it. I'm going to get it for you. And that's it. And we'd go back and forth. But even her family, like her mom, her sister, her, you know, um, her sister's kids, all of them, it's like they, one of the days I had bought them stuff and we were, I had told them, you know, one of the days like our breaks were late, like trying to get lunch was like ridiculous. And they're like, hey, if you need food or whatever, text us. We will pick up food and drop it off to you. Like it is not a problem. And just those, just them caring enough to even volunteer to like to do something like that for us, like that meant so much. You know, there's different things that people did that, like, we truly appreciated, like, the way people were willing to help. And, you know, they're like, oh, you know, because of where we work, they say, you know, you can't take donations and things like that. And I'm just like, you know, we understand, you know, we we don't, but it's just like the fact that people would offer to do that, like, we truly appreciated that because that showed us that people cared. And I remember one of the days that I bought um, stuff to her uh, to her sister's house and she was there and her nieces and nephews came out with a sign that said, um, thank you, Nicole, we love you. And after I got, after the, what is it? I dropped the stuff off and I left. I was driving away and I had tears in my eyes and I was crying like a baby because I truly appreciated the fact that they appreciated it and that they took the time to make the sign like that just like touched my heart. And it's one of those things where it's like, it showed that the efforts I was putting in with what I could do with what was available to me 
that that it was helping. And that's that's what I tell people. I'm like, we're supposed to be learning from this COVID thing. Yes, you know, it's hit a lot of us hard. We've lost a lot of family members. We've lost a lot of loved ones. And, you know, it's sad. It's hurtful. It's a process that we're going to be going through for a long time. But in the end of it, the day-to-day of it, we have to try to make positive moments when we can because that's that's the thing that we're supposed to be to me we're supposed to be carrying forward with us you know and the family members that we that we've lost or family members that we have that have battled with it remember to take the kindness and what they've taught us and continue to push that forward you know what i mean continue to reinvest that into other people and i think that's one of the ways to help their memories to live on you know even after all this is said and done so that's why i tell people i'm like covid is a is a teachable moment shoot covid's been a teachable two years and it's going to be a teachable lifetime at this point because there's so much that we could take from it there's a lot of negative but there's a lot of positive we can take from it too i think yeah I think that's a great way to wrap up kind of what you, like your whole story. I mean, it is that you're going to have your downs, but you're, you can have your ups. And I think that your message about just kindness is mm-hmm. a really powerful one that we, we hear, but we never really soak in. And that's, I think that's why I really wanted you to just keep going with your story because it wasn't just one point where it's like oh here's an example it's like no your whole story all along your lifetime so far right is about this idea of like let's just go back to caring let's go 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 to caring for those people who are playing by themselves and then let's go to caring for the person who's Mm -hmm. shopping by themselves and it's um it's just a really beautiful thing to hear so thank you for being on here, for sharing. Um, and I just wanted to ask for one last thing for, you know, for you to share with listeners. If you had kind of one piece of, one parting word or one piece of advice um, from your experiences, I'd love to, for you to share that. One thing would be to always lead with kindness no matter what you're going into no matter what the experience is no matter what you're going through at home always try to lead with kindness try to lead your conversations with kindness try to lead your interactions with kindness whether it be at home whether it be at work whether it be with a coworker who gets on your last nerve lead with kindness in everything you do, and in that leading with kindness, that will be the footprint that you can leave with each person you interact with. So just lead with kindness. That'd be it. Beautiful. Thank you. I just so appreciate your story, and I love that we've reconnected after so many years and that I get to learn so much from you. Yes, thank you, and thank you for having me on, and honestly, truly, thank you for the video that you posted, because me tell you, that video has literally 
put me back on that path once again of just making sure am I doing the work I need to be doing on myself on a regular basis because no matter how old we get there's still work that we have to do on ourselves and questions we should be asking ourselves so thank you for that because it reminds me of that path of work that I'm working on with myself and it also reminds me that I'm not the only person alone on this path doing this work because sometimes we do feel like we're alone so that just reminds us that you know we're not alone and it's okay to do that work you know it's okay it's necessary even the ones even those questions we don't want to ask that may be hurtful for us to like ask ourselves we have to do the work so I appreciate the fact that I see that I'm not alone and I just want you to know that you're not alone on that path of doing the work because there's other people out here even though some of them don't admit it we are doing the work too so thank you thank you for tuning in today living an inspired life is a worthy endeavor don't let anyone tell you otherwise be sure to subscribe in your preferred podcast player for future real conversations and if any part of this episode made you think of a friend let them know that they aren't alone in their journey and share all the things with them. If you'd like to stay in touch, hop on over to lisaforreal.com and sign up for my daily blogs. Or find me on Instagram at Reclaiming Motherhood. See you next time.